We're in the Me Too generation, so I have to be very gentle. You wouldn't have your job if you weren't beautiful. It's very sad. I wouldn't choose to be alone with him. This is a journey. Love tweeted Saturday saying, although I wasn't one of his victims, I was eternally banned by CAA for speaking out against Harvey Weinstein. New dimension, new value. For years, men have been getting a whole pizza delivered to them every day, and now women just want half of the pizza, and men are like, what? Why the fuck am I getting half a pizza all of a sudden? There seems to be, seems to be vital signs of people rushing to take offence to catcalling and wolf whistling. Now, the only people who are taking offence to this are extreme feminists. It's a genius thing that the patriarchy have done. They have made gender-based violence a thing that women deal with. And it's not their problem, it's men's problem. Please, Ed, would you mind saying that again? One day I saw a guy trying to take a picture of my skirt. I was getting out of a car with bags and a dog. I didn't actually realise until the picture was in the paper. Someone printed this shit. This sort of behaviour, we have to adopt a zero tolerance policy. I think the world's gone mad. Somebody brushed your knee 15 years ago. This is complete nonsense. Now, it's not doing the reputation of Parliament any good. And I can't believe that women are being so wimpish these days. Oh, my God. Feminism is not about females being powerful, it's about redressing a balance and it's about equality and feminism is a very necessary thing for young men to have and if you want to know, if you think you're a feminist, let a woman pay for your dinner and see how you feel about that. If you're cool with that, you're a feminist. If you're not, you need to look at yourself. From Irishman Abroad podcast, this is Men Behaving Better. Today on the show, we look at sexism in hip-hop and rap music with hip-hop artist Roxanne, music obsessives and comedians Felicity Ward and Eleanor Tiernan. What a show it is. Recorded live in front of a packed house at the other Palace Theatre in December of last year. This is an episode I've been trying to put together for a long, long time. I know a lot of you are expecting Ramesh Ranganathan to be on this episode, but unfortunately he had to pull out last minute due to a filming commitment running over. We're all good at about it, uh, not least him. He really wanted to do this, but he's promised he will appear on the show next season, so apologies to anyone that that upsets, but boy oh boy do we have a replacement for him in the shape of Roxanne. She is an extraordinary, talented artist uh, with a story and an angle on the industry-wide sexism that we as consumers of the music may not be aware of. Uh, Felicity Ward is, of course, a comedian friend of mine and is on tour at the moment. Follow the links in the info to get tickets for her or for Eleanor Tiernan, another friend and comedian on the show today. All the links for everybody on the show are in the info, so be sure to check them all out. Our next live episode will take place at Soho Theatre on March 11th. Tickets are on sale now via my website, jigzer.com, or from the Soho Theatre website, sohotheatre.com. For feedback, guest suggestions, or subject suggestions for the next season of Men Behaving Better, go and email me, irishmanabroadpodcast at gmail.com. I read every single email and reply to every single one personally. I want to hear from you. That's how we keep the discussion going. There'll be another live episode of course in April in Edinburgh at the Gilded Balloons Theatre on Rose Street. More details of that to follow. You can get free tickets and discounted rates on all tickets by becoming a member of our patron system at patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad. You get access to hundreds 
hundreds and hundreds of other interviews that I've done, bonus series and extra content in this series, including video footage of some episodes we recorded during the year. So why not head over to patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad and sign up today. Wow, uh, this is great, guys. Thank you so much for coming along again to another episode of Men Behaving Better. I can't believe so many of you came back. It's fantastic. Uh, so this is a very special episode, discovering uh, and talking about sexism and misogyny in hip-hop. And I, I've been a hip-hop fan since back in the day, which was a Tuesday, out of interest. Uh, I was into rap when every other Irish kid I knew was into trance grunge and rave and back then uh, scantily clad women in videos the use of language the violence and kind of the outlaw quality of the art were all intertwined in the in the attraction for me i couldn't even quite explain it at the time but i never really reflected upon it and uh, what i was hearing because you just don't reflect at that age i just assumed that move bitch was about ludicrous and his difficulty in getting people in general to get out of his way uh, okay an interesting not a huge laugh there maybe revealing how many people are familiar with the ludicrous song move bitch get out of the way it's an actual song guys okay i don't know if we have a huge hip-hop crap one person got it okay um you know, I was a teenager. Uh, I had virtually no interaction with the opposite sex, a lot of angst, a lot of worries. Essentially, I had 99 problems, and a girlfriend certainly wasn't one of them. Uh, I continually had dirt on my shoulder, but uh, more than anything, it gave me a window into this different world. And today, as a father and a man attempting to be better, I've come to recognize that when we turn a blind eye to this kind of content, we are not holding our artists to the same standards. Why should rap music get a free pass on the language and the culture it promotes? And when other art forms are so heavily regulated? And is there anything that can be done? Here to discuss this is a uh, self-proclaimed hip-hop nut. She is recognized uh, for her incredible stand-up. Uh, you may have seen her on Live at the Apollo. She's a regular co-host of the Guilty Feminist podcast. She's from a, Sydney, a little town outside Sydney, Australia, and responsible for some of literally the best stand-up shows I've ever seen. Please raise the roof for the brilliant Felicity Ward, everybody. <laughs> felt like an overly generous introduction. Oh, no, I mean every word. It's so great to have you on, Felicity. And, Thanks. Uh, you know, I, I didn't even mention that you're a DJ. You uh, didn't mention so that. So essentially, you are in control That's, of the It's output. my favourite position. <laughs> but like you were... Um, you obviously have had moments as someone who's uh, as big a hip-hop fan as I am, where you've put on a tune and thought... Uh -oh. God, I don't know if I'm going to be able to play this again. Yeah, so let me clarify. Um, I love hip-hop, but I haven't always listened to it. So the people that were listening to other stuff, I was actually a huge grunge fan when I was a teenager, 
and a lot of my music came from my sister who was uh, two years older and she was uh, really into grunge and Indian alternative music and that's what I listened to. If you look at my outfit, that will probably uh, v very screams through. Um, and, and I listened to pop music. So the only, the only rap and hip hop that I listened to up until I would say my late teens was all popular. Mm -hmm. So like... Buster Move and all the worst stuff. Snow, the, the 90s, Informer. 90s rap. 90s, I mean, yeah, but again, only what came through top 40 in Australia. And then in my late teens, people, I remember I was 18 and my friend gave me a Talib Kweli Eternal, what do they call it, Eternal Reflection album. And it is still one of my favourite albums of all time. And I didn't know about conscious rappers uh, I didn't know for people that don't know there's, you know, the conscious rappers are sort of the um, antipathy of what we're talking about today where they they talk about social issues, they talk about, like, uh, humanity, they talk about um, setting race. Examples. Setting examples. Setting It's not bitches and, mm -hmm. um, well, but, I mean, bitches more, that sort of sums up everything, doesn't it? Like, bitches and bling is sort of the opposite of what conscious rap is. Mm, and that 90s period was, like I said in the intro, like, th that was kind of unconsciously absorbed by a lot of men and young boys mm. my age. It was the time when 1998 is recognised as the year when rap music outsold every other genre of music in the United States. And it's a turning point in music because up to that point it's an underground mm. thing but people like god you can just name them like nelly uh, yeah. these, these kind of world 50 pop cent eminem tunes. dre like all of the t turn of the century hip-hop is sort of some it, it it that's when it really turns mainstream as in it became popular like on, on a really global mm. scale obviously it was popular before then and had huge breakthroughs but dilemma which is the song with Nelly and Kelly Rowland, is the number one song of that year, which mm. I want to say 2002 maybe? Well, like what's, what I wanted to ask is that, yeah, with that, with that wave, it was accepted. So many things were just accepted on face value. The, the clothes they were wearing, the background they came from, and the references to mm. women, mm. Uh, violence uh, and... The diminishing of women, violence against women, mm. the distrust of women that they're nothing but gold diggers or... But they what a catchy tune though, isn't it? <laughs> Come on! Yeah, well, like, the, that seems to be what, from what I've read, and I've read a, a, a good amount on this, the division of women that we, I think we can all kind of recognise and understand and see it, was the division of women was gold digger or ride or die, bitch. Hmm. Uh, a woman who would put up with your infidelities and what was there by your side to gratify you at every mm. turn. Why were you okay with that? Well, when so in the early 2000s, again, a lot of my initial music that I loved that was hip-hop was either conscious rap or like J5, like Jurassic 5, uh, Black Alicious. So it was it was a lot more friendly what I listened to, mm. um, De La Soul. But the the artist that I did listen to that I was Eminem, like mm. in the in the I don't know when Marshall Mathers came out, maybe ninety nine two thousand something yeah, like that. I think yeah, roughly. Yeah. and I, I loved the I loved the sound. I loved that he was funny, 
and I don't think that I really... I don't know if I ignored it or I tapped out when he was talking about that or I just liked the song or I liked the sound of his voice. But I didn't engage. I didn't become conscious of what I was listening to until my late 20s, if I'm going to be perfectly honest. And a lot of, you know, my engagement with feminism, again, didn't come until my late 20s. I grew up in a very small town. A lot of people have spoken about this before. And I would say that I grew up with very sexist ideals, which is weird because I've always been this, like, you know, to use a word that I hate, feisty. I've always been, like, like I'm backed in a corner ready to fight. But, again, if, if it came down to, like, a boy that I liked and a girl that was my friend, when I was younger, I would probably side with the boy that I liked in the hope that they would like me. So I had these really deep internalised misogynistic ideas to the point where, and I I say this often because I co-host The Guilty Feminist sometimes, I had very different ideas when I was 24, 25 than I do now as a 38-year-old and it took me time to get there. Mm. And I've had confrontations that have very quickly switched me to a different way of thinking and then other things I've had to be drip-fed over a decade before I've gone, oh, that is sexist. Um, so I, didn't, I did a sketch show in the, in the mid-2000s and they literally asked me in an interview, do you think women can be funny? And I didn't take that offensively. I was like, hmm, they want to know my opinion. Like I'm one of the special girls that they can ask about this, as has been spoken about, Mm. um, you know, the one of the lads. Are you cool with this? And I literally said, this is before I'd started stand-up, but I literally said, as long as they're not talking about lady things. And that is one from a now a very confident, self-proclaimed feminist. So my ideas have changed. Where did that come from? Like what? My dad's sexist. Right. Sorry, Dad. You, you are. Um, don't worry. He does not know how to listen to a podcast. <laughs> that is not a problem. But we, we. But what was crazy is growing up in my house is my mum had these really strong feminist ideals, but lived with someone who had very traditional ideas about women should what should be. So I had the these two conflicting ideas that I grew up in and was raised with as well. I, I like. I think it's it's really interesting. And makes a lot of sense. Mm. But I find this a really peculiar one, the hip-hop thing. And the amount of blind eye, the amount of look away, that's something this omnipresent and central Mm. in our culture gets, this free ride that it gets. I Uh, didn't even think that I was giving it a free ride, though. I genuinely didn't think I was turning a blind eye. it's in front of you. Yeah, I know, but I did. Because you grow up in like a patriarchal system that, of course, I see women all the time in bikinis. I see women being degraded since the time I was born mm. in advertising. Why would I think that seeing it in a video clip, in a music video, would be offensive to me? I go, oh, yeah, that's what we all do. Mm. That's what we see all the time. So at, at, at 21, when I have, no, I have no one challenging that idea, and that's what I've always seen, why would I think that that is a problem? It's only now, as, an, as a grown-up, that I can reflect on that and go, Oh, my God. I want to bring Eleanor Tiernan out here, our second guest of the evening. Eleanor is a friend of the show. She's appeared on the show before, you may remember. She has toured the world from Australia to Chicago, the Edinburgh Festival, multiple hit shows up there. And you will also recognize her from Stuart Lee's Alternative Comedy Experience. She is someone who has a similar experience with grunge of not fully connecting the mm. dots between these words and their wrongness. Will you please welcome to the stage, Eleanor 
Tiernan. Yeah. Thank you, Jarlis. I mean, like when you when you're listening to that, Eleanor, and we had the briefest of chats backstage about. I said these words, like I was saying these things, I was screaming these songs into a comb in front of a mirror. Mm-hmm. How, the, how the hell did we not go these songs were wrong? You did that with grunge. Or were they wrong at all? Um, no, they were wrong. They were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to give you an example of, of, uh, of the, the worst thing that I can, I can think of that I listened to as a teenager. Axel Rose song... <laughs> It's so easy. Um, he's got a lyric in it uh, uh, that starts, um, uh, it's so easy, easy when everybody's trying to please me. Uh, and then he goes, turn around, bitch. I've got a use for you. Besides, you ain't got nothing better to do. And I'm bored. Uh, <laughs> like, it's, it, yeah, I've, I've, I've just repeated it. But it's, uh, I, I think hip hop might not be, we might, we might be being a bit, set in a, in a different scenario so a lot of mm. different genres of music mm-hmm. have these kind of problematic lyrics and I think what happens is when you start to see the people behind these lyrics that's when you start to kind of realise oh sugar that's, that's how my awareness has been made about um, certain situations uh, but if I was kind of seeing the women who maybe Axel Rose were, wasn't being nice to in his personal life uh, I think maybe I would kind of go. Actually, that's that's not not a good thing. Mm. And one of the I think the groups in society that seem to be hardest to get their voice heard is black women. And I think black women are probably the perceived victim of violence in hip hop. So maybe we're not. We're, we're that that's why the messages get it is harder to get through to us that we can actually see the people who are on the receiving end of mm. the lyrics. Well, like, if I'm to play devil's advocate here, because like, I, I'm not, I don't even have to play the part. Most of my phone is full of rap music. That's the predominant uh, music that I listen to. Yet, it contains stuff that I definitely don't agree with. And if I'm to put on the hat of a man who just offends an artist's right to speak about their life experience, this is what I've seen in the world. I lived in Compton, and now I'm coming straight out of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've got a crazy motherfucker <laughs> named Gusto next to me. That's what everybody calls him. He's a crazy motherfucker. That's the term. We don't literally mean that he fucks his mother. We, we just are telling you about the difficulty we've had in life. And the women around us, since we got rich, behave in this way. I think what we're also doing, too, is we are talking a majority at the moment about male rap. Because there's lots of female rappers who don't speak as disparagingly. Yeah, well, I, I will get to that. Okay, good. To, I am going to get there because, you know, there's a, there's a change that comes about in, in rap. Like, if you're to look at the early days of it, when women were in rap, they uh, dressed manly. They presented mm. themselves as asexual. Mm. And I'm as you up. said, one of the boys. Where You know, there's album covers where they're ogling women that are passing by as well. And then, as you say, there's a turn towards presenting your sexuality as a tool to manipulate these idiot men who, uh, mm. are, uh, who find you irresistible. Yeah, I, I think that... Um, I mean, so Salt and Pepper, for example, 
I would not say that they dressed masculine. I think what they did was very... Re- I think they were actually quite fashion-forward for the time. They set a lot of trends, mm-hmm. and a lot of their lyrics are very sex-positive, yep. um, which is something, again, I've only noticed as a grown-up going back and listening to... Um, uh, what's, there's a, a None of Your Business, which is like the chorus is, if I want to take a guy home with me tonight, it's none of your business. If she, if she wants to get freaking on the weekend, it's none of your business. So it's all of this like women can do with their body what they want. So I, I suppose that um, I just wanted to differentiate that we can talk about all hip-hop, but it's not all hip-hop. We can talk – like there are parts of hip-hop that were really pioneering and sure. feminist um, messages and that it, you know there were women out there – doing some pretty great work. Right, but if we're to deal with the point of if uh, I'm sitting opposite two comics who write shows about their life mm-hmm. with all the detail that you two have included, the hilarious minutia of these excruciating times in your life, you wouldn't stand for it if anybody was to say, sorry, Felicity, you cannot talk about that bowel issue. You can't do that. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm not being cruel there. That is I have openly a fundamental spoken about part. irritable bowel syndrome for years. If anything, people are sick of me talking about it. But you would, you would literally be up in arms at the idea that I would tell you that you can't talk about your life experience. But that's the thing. I don't know how I... With misogynistic rap lyrics, it's art. And I think that it is dangerous territory for me to say to another person, you can't talk about that. That doesn't mean I can't challenge it, mm. but... I have not had the lived experience of a person who is writing these songs mm. and I can confront them about it. I don't know if I'm going to come across Nelly anytime soon. Um, <laughs> if you are in the northwest area of London, Nelly, do drop by. <laughs> um, or M M&M, and M. But um, it's a really tricky one. And I, I bring up the same point as Eleanor does. I don't know if we're pigeonholing hip-hop because it's easy to talk about mm misogyny in hip-hop when there are lots of other examples where there's not a problem in hip-hop. There's yeah. lots of other areas of hip-hop where there isn't a misogynistic problem. So are we focusing on this and are there racial undertones to us going, oh, well, the music that I listen to is black hip-hop and there's lots of misogynistic. If we're just focusing on one area, is, is that our racial bias looking at that, not going, is this also occurring in other music genres? Well, I think it's really important that we bring Roxanne yes. out now. Someone with uh, exper- already applause, right? That's a good start. Roxanne hails from Birmingham. She's been called the fiercest female MC in the UK. She's responsible for some of the most powerful tracks you're going to hear. She's also centrally involved in the hip-hop musical about the suffragette movement. Will you please welcome to the stage Roxanne, everybody. Yeah! Thanks so much for doing the Hello. show. Hello, hi everybody. You're right. When <laughs> when you're sitting there listening to three white people talk about mm. your industry, that something that you've lived through. Do, yeah, do you yeah. get do you get really upset when these discussions are taking place? And it does feel a little bit victimizing. Um, yes and no. I totally agree with Felicity. I agree with everyone, especially the women. Um, I think I don't listen. Boo, Sorry. Boo. Hashtag feminism too. Um, <laughs> But again, to your last point, I think it's a bit of both because 
with um, hip hop, it is black culture and it's came from black, black culture. And when it um, came around in the 80s, it was about people just expressing themselves because they had no other place to express themselves. You know, it was about ciphers and music and beat. And I agree, it has turned really misogynistic, especially in the 90s. But I guess life kind of got better for black people. So that's what they used to talk about. They did get girls and maybe... Maybe they are very misogynistic, and I don't agree with their behaviour, but a lot of, before it, where it is now, a lot of rap is kind of just talking about their lifestyle and what it is, and it got so big because a lot of people relate to poverty and a lot of people relate to um, these things that are going on, but I agree, especially being a woman in hip-hop and hearing you guys talk about women that rap are usually quite masculine. Hello, I'm <laughs> I'm very masculine and and I'm gay as well, so I kind of well, knock all let, the please the, please tell the this audience down. your story and your way into it because yeah, as yeah. I understand it, you find yourself as the hot new thing in in British rap and uh, I've never said that I promise <laughs> yeah. you never said it Roxy. No. Yeah. you never said He's it coming. but but you got to a point then where you needed to step away and yeah, you walked 100%. away fully from it for two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Can you tell us your story anyway? So I'm originally, um, sorry to yeah. interrupt you, I'm originally from Birmingham. I grew up, again, white Irish mom, Jamaican background. My mom still just says, oh, she's doing that poetry thing in London. She still quite don't understand it, but she lets me do it, bless her. And when I first came to London, you know, you see, um, like for me, Missy Elliott, I used to love Missy Elliott because she, was, she wasn't what... You know, very sexy, very skinny. She wouldn't be getting her body out. She wouldn't wear tight dresses. For me, she was very relatable. I was a tomboy too. She was a tomboy. She just led with um, lyrics, having a good time, partying, you know, experience. So that was me. I, that's all I had. I came to London. I interned at EMI. That's how I got into London. So I was literally, I wrote out Tiny Tempers check when he got signed. I was the intern in the building. <laughs> yeah, he got a lot wow. of money. Um, <laughs> yeah, I literally, so I was the person that was getting tea and hi and Mr. Tiny and, you know, doing all that stuff <laughs> and then um i was yeah i was helping on professor green because the, the label was emi um parlophone and virgin they were all in the same building so i would run across getting tea for both and they signed professor green and obviously i've just i'm in a record label i can't believe it oh my god all my dreams are going to come true kind of thing and as professor green just before he was about to perform i literally thought fuck it jumped on stage, grabbed the mic and just started rapping. And that's, everyone in the office was like, oh my God, that's you. So literally within nine months, I got a, um, a development. No, I got a record deal to Universal. One of the Parlophone guys, Harry Lloyd, moved to um, sorry, Polydor on Universal and then he signed me there for an album deal. And I thought I made it. That's it. I thought, oh my God, I'm going to be Missy Elliott. You know, all my dreams came true. I thought... Yeah, this is it. Fresh off the boat from Birmingham, as they say. How but old literally were you? Nine months ago, I was 21. Wow. So, yeah, I didn't know. I had 21. Um, I got signed at the time for £70,000, which was a lot of money to me. You get 35 on signature, and then you get 35 once you deliver the album. That was my deal. So I had £35,000 I'm in the my wrong account. industry, mate. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just came to London. You know, I was staying on my cousin's sofa for nine months. Now I had a pad in Old Street. Thought I made it until the work started to kick in. And I remember I would... Um, I've been doing loads of music. They didn't really understand the culture. I didn't really understand what they were doing with me, but they were like, okay, we have... Um, it's, it's so sad. Um, they accidentally left the intercom on um, in one of the rooms. Yeah, and oh I was sitting God. in this all glass. So you, you can't hear... When is your biopic? It's so bad. Like, it's all, it's all glass rooms. It's literally like this big room and it's all sectioned off with glass to make different rooms. And they accidentally left the intercom on. And um, I was sitting in one room and they were like... Oh, 
we don't really know what she's saying. We don't really care about her story. But do you know what? She looks good. She's easy on the eye. She's not too dark. That's what I said. Oh, she's wow. not too dark. She's easy on the eye. At the time, my hair was big and afro. You know, Curly, we can sell her. She's got that big afro hair. Everybody's into that right now. Just get the album. Let's just, just get her in the studio. We need 10 tracks. So that means she, we need 30. Then we pick the best 10. And then we'll just go straight into the album. You know, we'll go straight into the album cover. Didn't really know what to say. I was, you know, I was 21. This is my introduction to the industry. I, I was learning that there was a business behind it. Yeah. Silly me just thought I just rapped and made songs and that was it. Mm. So I didn't know what to do again. 21. Quick question. Yeah. Can you tell me the, sorry to make a point, the yeah. gender and the colour of the people making those comments? White men. For £100,000. <laughs> white men. Yeah, all white men. But uh, all, all ages. My, my A&R at the time was 27, so he was young enough to know better, you know? Or maybe yeah. he was the one that didn't call anyone out, that just sat quiet, that should have said something. What does that do to your... Like, as you, you know say, you're agreeing. I was really heartbroken. It, it, it broke my heart because for me, um, hip-hop was a way out. Like, um, my voice is very deep, as you can hear. And I've always been a tomboy. So growing up, I was bullied a lot. You know, I was quite rough. And I grew up in as the hood, the ghetto, I don't know what you call it. And I used to get bullied and picked on art because I was always best at sport and I'd play football with the boys. So some people would be like, are you a girl? Are you a boy? You were hermaphrodite, you know, your voice is so deep. So for me, writing lyrics was how I kind of started, just to get out how I felt, you know, typical, not, no sympathy, typical Irish mom, single parent, Jamaican dad, where is he? Still don't know. It is what it is kind of thing. So it was just a way for me to, to let out my feelings and to be real, really honest, only child as well. So I never really had anyone to talk to like that. Mom worked her ass off, bless her. So I used to write. No, she was the best mom in the world. She's my hero, honestly. But she, you know, I used to write. So hearing that, it just killed all my dreams kind of thing. I was like, oh, my God. I, I just didn't know how to feel. So, again, didn't want to say anything. A young, very uneducated at the time. Didn't know what to do. Went back home. You know, they were getting me Addison Lee's here and there. Didn't realise that was coming out of my money. Addison Lee's here, Addison Lee's there. I wasn't allowed to be on the tube. What the hell? You know, so I was getting cabs everywhere. And then I remember turning up to um, and the album. So we had the tracks now and we was doing the album cover. And I got there and, you know... Oh, so you continued... After hearing yeah, that, literally, with this broken heart. After hearing that, at 21, only, what are you going to do? I didn't yeah. want to do. I had no, fa- I'm here on my own. Mom, everyone in Birmingham is literally, oh, she'll be back. You'll yeah. be back. Mum didn't really get what I was doing. You know, they didn't really get it. So everyone wanted me to go home with my tail in between my legs where I was determined, no, I'm going to do this. So I thought, if I do this, get the album out, I'll be famous enough to talk about it and embarrass mm. the label and hopefully leave, you know, when artists turn against their labels. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With, with the lawyers I never had so anyway I remember the, the pivot, literally the part I broke down was I went to the album cover and they literally had a rail and I remember looking through it like is there any other rails they'd been around me we'd been working together for a year now so they knew me you've always seen me how I dress they know me and it was all like um, body riders and um, bikini tops with blazers that go over and um, they wanted to dye my hair um, it's funny now they wanted to dye it pink but at the time I'd never had hair dye in my hair before and I was really scared they wanted to get extensions in to have it really long they had um, I, I don't know if anyone knows the terms of weave like 26 inches which is really long and I just remember crying, literally getting my phone. Thank God my lawyer, Sarah Stennant, um, who's a lady, she also manages Rita Aurora now. She was my lawyer at the time. And she was like, get out, get out now. We're going to get you out of this deal, get out now. And then after that, I kind of shut down. Didn't really know 
and again, whilst I was only, I was only 21, so it was my first time out of Birmingham, being in a big city. I didn't know I was gay then, you know, still going out on the scene, kind of, still kind of growing into the adult that I guess I am today. So I was really confused, and she was like, get out, get out. So then I just kind of went into hibernation for a bit, started, uh, went, as you do, praying, manif- manifesting a lot, talking but to the there, universe a lot. at that lot. point, you must have been thinking, Roxanne, Yeah, I really done. thought... I'm, I'm out yeah. of here. And I, also, I, I, you're I obviously now seeing up. under the microscope the amount of... Like, we talked about sexism. Yeah. The homophobia. If you've ever been to a rap battle, mm. you'll know... Yeah, yeah, yeah. ...that gay is where they go. 100%. And the, the pressure as well, like, not only was I on the label, they had a meal eating plan for me. I'd get meals delivered to my house. I would have uh, times I have to go to the gym, you know, and things I have to do. Makeup for an hour before anything. I can, I don't, I can do my own makeup. You know, it's not every day you need makeup. Everything that they were, it was like they were forcing me to become this very feminine figure that I just wasn't because of what they saw. We can do this. Put her in a pair of heels, she'll look great. I, you know, just how much really, of that is the music industry, and how much of that is rap? Wow, I think for for females, unfortunately, I'd say ninety ninety five percent of the industry, the industry on a whole, not even just rap, the industry on a whole. Because what's horrible about rap is it's so male dominated. There's never really been a woman that's just stepped out on her own and made it. If, mm. can, can you tell me one, any woman you think, Little Kim, she had Bad Boy and um, Biggie, you know, uh, I'm trying to think, Nicki Minaj, she had Young Money and Little Wayne. All these women. Missy come, did it with like Timbaland Missy did as well. it with Timbaland. A woman has never just stepped forward and been like, mm. this is me. There's always have to be a male cosign for anybody to listen or take her seriously. Even Steph London today, she came from like, um, there's, there's a little group, crew called Section Boys. They put her on a remix and she's been out for ages, but they put her on a remix. They said how sexy she is and Bigging up how that she's got the biggest bottom I've ever seen, which she has. beautiful. But she, she, um, as, as appreciating her beauty and her how beautiful her body is. But then everyone wanted to know who she was, and people were all measuring her bottom with a tape, and you know, like just it's so horrible. Dehumanizing. Dehumanizing. That's the word for women. Why do women have to be so sexy? Like even me, I'm. I hope they don't listen to this, but my PR agency that I'm with today, you know, after doing Suffragettan and everything, they still will argue at me and say, oh, why don't do this or wear that or post this? You've all, all your last posts on Instagram, they've been pretty masculine. Maybe wow. post, post something still. a bit I, girly. Your posts are a bit masculine. Even still, yeah. Mate, my don't send them my way. Like, no, no, no. I literally it's, just it's tweeted so about how I've got a gift of walking into a toilet cubicle where someone's just done a shit. Yeah, no, and, and it's, it's, it's almost driving me crazy. Like, I'm, I'm on the verge of re- rebelling. I've got an EP coming out on Valentine's Day called For Her, and it's literally, there's a track called Masculine, which I spell M-A-S-K, and it's, they say I'm too masculine, and I don't look like a girl when my plaits are in. It's a stone-cold world, big backs are in, and everybody want to match with Kim, and I'm more like ASAP Rocky on a fashion thing, silk shirt, let my little titties hang and swing. You know, like, just, that's, that's some of the lyrics. But yeah. thank you. Just kind of rebelling, I think. Unfortunately, especially, I'm really big about being a tomboy, and that's the awareness that I'm going to bring. Um, I'm trying to bring in my music is society, especially in the music industry and rap, make us feel like we're not beautiful or we're not, we're not deemed as women just because we're not very feminine, well, you know? if I have an A&R guy up here and we put truth serum in his or her veins, yeah. they will say... What am I to do? This is what yeah. sells. That, and that's I am the trying thing. to it's get you to sell records. Yeah. And maybe someday you get to make the record you want, but you've got to accumulate fans 
And I, I, like I'm convinced that that's what they yeah. say. You do hear it in the you know uh, yeah. uh, behind the music documentaries, or it's like there's there's a dirty aspect to every industry. And an A and R man will say, "I hate that I have to fulfill this role, but like I do, I I do think it's worth pointing out that those mm. that did those things and continue to do those things to you will defend them on the basis that oh God, commercially, do you want to have money or be poor?" Yeah. But don't you think it's a different time now with social media? The amount of, like, I follow a bunch yeah. of rappers on Instagram and I, there's a, a couple in particular who are tomboyish. Oh, my God, and they so have much. millions and yeah. millions of followers. Ruby Rose, although she's not a hip-hop, she's a DJ. Yes. When you know her. She's, she's Australian, yeah. She's beautiful and she's gay as well. Yes. So she has millions. Yes. There's a, um, there's a girl, um, I think her name's Orica. And there's there's another girl. Um, I I can't remember what her handle is, but it's R X C A N, I think. But um, oh my she, god, yeah, I know her. Yeah, oh my yeah, yeah. god, and she's only like sixteen. She is. Cardi B posted her the other day. Yes, she's sixteen. I know she's. And she does all of these freestyles um, on Instagram. They're a minute long. She has like four million followers. Guys, it's so sad though. Her story is so deep. Oh my her god, her mum's on crack and this and that. Like literally, and all of her raps about but this that. Is you're rap. like, oh my god, yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. The but thing this is rap. And this is why, sorry to cut you. It'll no, no, you we're both very excited. You why, have a lot yeah, more yeah, to yeah. say. Why I, think, why I think the industry has gone down this route is because it can't really handle anything else that's in hip-hop because it's so raw and it's so real. Yes. They don't know how to handle that her mum's on crack or help or they don't know how to handle the fact that she's from poverty or what she's going through in her life. So I know she's beautiful and she's a woman. Let's put her out that way. It's like they don't know how to understand and you to help you grow. They just think, let's make you beautiful and put you on a pedestal. And the great or irony is you've got people like Kendrick who have literally oh, blazed don't. his own trail. I love And him. because, I mean, obviously he is a phenomenal talent as oh, well. Yeah, of course. But He's doing something that is his and he's – I think that that he is an example of someone who's being able to maintain who they are and oh how God, they want to do things and become the biggest yeah. artist in the world and not just the biggest hip-hop artist yeah. but one of the biggest artists in the yeah. world. And I think that we're at a different time where record companies – and this is easy for me to say as a comedian I who, agree with who you. gets, you know, I can do cash gigs and I can make my own. But record companies are not the be-all and end-all and no. they have not moved forward with social media and technology yeah. and they are in danger of making themselves obsolete if they don't figure out how to adapt and find people like Roxanne and figure out how to make that popular. I because, I, no, this is genuinely <laughs> no, what no, I no, think. I agree. But the best thing about today is – I'm so sweaty. Imagine, but the good thing about today is what record labels I think are realizing we don't need them. Yes, we have our phones, we have our own That's record label. This is what I keep saying to the, the younger, like I say younger, like I'm that old, but the youngers, they like, What should I do? What? Forget the record label. You have your phone, you have Instagram, you have Twitter. If the when the music's good enough, you will get there. People, it will get out there, it will resonate with people. Put it on all the platforms, perform, go to open mic nights. You know, we don't need record labels. And yeah. I think record labels now are struggling so much, they're starting to realise and tap back in. They're 20 years too late, though. Exa I agree. Exactly. With, with this being said, Roxanne, you're, like, you are not the only gay yeah. rapper. No, no, I'm not. Certainly 100%. not. 100%. But recognising your individuality in this and what you're talking about is yeah, yeah. cultural change 100%. and change in an attitude towards this music, which all of the white faces that walked in here have their idea of what it yeah. is. Do you feel an immense pressure 
when you know, all of this is heaped upon you and a hundred percent but i like if i feel pressure that means i know i'm fighting for something that definitely needs change and it is really important although you keep um you say white and stuff it's really hard to be in the rap industry brown or i say i'm brown but some people would argue i'm black it is what it is i'm i'm darker skin toned you know that it's hard being gay because to black people and black culture it's not okay and it's not cool to be gay mm. And then on the flip side of that, I don't know if anyone is aware of, there's a rapper called Younger May, who's a gay rapper. And I am really angry at her because she's a gay... In gay world, you have... Well, they break it down into labels. You have your femme, feminine, stem, which is kind of where I fall. I'm not too tomboy, I wear makeup. I'm kind of in the middle. And then you have stud. I hate labels, but just to break it down. So Younger May is kind of a stud. She don't wear makeup. She's very masculine. And it upsets me because she talks about women in her music as bitches. In her video, she has women dancing on her. She's throwing money at them. She's doing exactly what the men are doing, but just in a girl version, you know? And it, it's just so upsetting. It's not only... As we say, yeah, you're a gay rapper and you're a female. We have gay females over here that are still taking the piss. And also, even worse than the guys, because they're bringing the misogyny into mm. our world where we're supposed to stand together and fight against it. I feel like that about Theresa May. Yeah, yeah I'm with you there. <laughs> you know, first, first female, you're a second female prime minister, you know, but you should, you know, you, you, want, you want more from somebody like that. You yeah. want somebody mm. to, you but know. But you feel an urge to support her. But then there's also yeah. the thing of it can't be like... I used to think, and this is a sexist idea that I used to have, when I first started stand-up, whenever I saw a female comic come up on stage, I'd go, please be good, please be good, because if she did well, then other people would go, oh, maybe, because that was the pressure that I felt every time. But it is a sexist idea that that one person is responsible to change, to act the same as me. I and, agree. And it's not the case, but what we should be able to do is we should be able to have female comics who are fucking terrible. Yeah, because we have male terrible. comics that are terrible. And, yeah. then, and, and, then, and you could go, mate. That's a terrible comic. Yeah. And then that would be the end of it. And to, for the pressure, for, for each of us to feel the pressure of representing our entire gender, yeah. our entire sexuality, our entire art, yeah. that's a lot of pressure. And then they put, put us against each other. Exactly. It's like there's not enough space for every female to do Absolutely. the same thing. But there's a million male rappers. Give me five female rappers straight away. You can't <laughs> because it's hard. Even I would have to think for a bit, you know? Yeah. Okay, I'm lying. I wouldn't, but Obviously. it is hard. But they put us against each other. Like there's, there's only space or room for one, mm. you know? And that, again, sorry, I'm yeah, also no, a feminist. I, I, I agree yeah. that it is, it is, there is the, like, there's a quota now. It's like we, it's like no Irish acts share a bill yeah. uh, ever on the circuit. Yeah. You will it's never too adorable, that's why. Yeah, it's, it's too, too much. much twinkle in one room. Also, um, sorry to bring up something you said earlier, but just before I came on stage, you said, should we blame, or no, it was you, Felicity, should we blame rap for misogynist, for what's going on and stuff? And I agree, I do think it is a little bit of people being a little bit racist just to put the blame on rap because we don't blame violence on video games. Mm. You know, we don't blame... I don't know. Well, people try to, and then you look at research, yeah. and I'm pretty sure the science says that it doesn't or, cause violence. No, the same yeah. with heavy metal music. There's actually science and studies that it, uh, people who listen to heavy metal are happier. Yeah, yeah, and it's also very Why hard, I imagine. Why do we always have to blame people for things? Mm. Why can't we just start taking it on ourselves and saying, okay, this is shit, we need to change it, let's all... 
step yeah. forward for change. Why do we always have to point fingers and blame it? Or look no, at people's behaviour rather than yeah. the art that they're creating. Yeah, like I agree. if you're doing bad things in the world, then yeah, maybe it's time to not use listen to their art or support 100%. their art. Yeah. It's that censorship, it's a very it's very, it very blurred. When you but come back to it, go ahead. Well, I, th- I think all artists are creating, we don't like to talk about it in crude capitalist terms, but we're creating a brand and there's values associated with that brand. Mm-hmm. But then when you start hearing stories about the person in their real life, they'll often start to puncture through the brand, yeah, as true, we have seen true. with some famous... What? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, Very true. Comics. Uh, they, yeah, you, 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 start, you start to go, hang on, that doesn't add up. The guy I know on stage wouldn't masturbate. Yeah, well, I think it's, <laughs> it's nearly... It's, I find it nearly refreshing to hear it done to men because you know that was often something with a female rapper that was brought up as a way of diminishing her reputation was that she had somehow slept her way to the top what What I was going to ask you Roxanne I really I want to get this question in because the two years away you do the reflecting you do your praying and you obviously improve as an MC you You've now, like we always say with comics, that like the more scars there are to that comic, the funnier it is. The two years is the making of you. Oh my God, 100%. But you still enter into this industry again. And now it's even more popular. It's even more grotesque in its dark corners. Yeah. How do you shield yourself from that? And how how do you square that circle that you're going to survive in it? Do you know, I'm very lucky. I have really good friends. I I keep really good people around me. And I go to nights and events and support events of things I support. I don't go to... Uh, misogynistic events anymore just to hear music where it's got to be hard to see it's still there and worse no it is but there's so much other things that are hard to see in life as well do you know Mm. there's so much poverty there's people still on the street I was homeless Mm. five years ago went through with these two years I was homeless I was in and out of hostels and stuff you know that really upsets me that that's still going on and when you actually get to meet people that are on the street and why they're homeless you understand their story but not saying I understand someone's story for putting half a naked woman in a video but like you say speak to them what are they going through or again educate them do you you think that like with all this being said that you do know at your core that there's only so much you can do in terms of pushing a hundred percent but you know where you've got to play the game in order to do it i take a different route to it i don't blame yes i do blame men a little bit but i i try and educate the women why would you do this for money why do you want to be the girl in the video that's it because you also have everybody has a choice as much as i'm a feminist and Got being mad at the men. We need to educate our girls. Why do you want to be this girl? Or you know what I mean? Mm. They're in the videos. They're taking their clothes off. They're taking their paycheck. I think we have to educate our girls and let them know. There's obviously there's more to life, but but then you've also got the problem that our currency is predicated on our looks, and also then you want pe- women to have yeah. financial independence. And I don't want to take anyone's opportunity to earn money because she deserves to earn money. And unfortunately, if sex work is like you know, if that's a yeah, quick way to make good them, money, and, and it's, it's a good quick money, way of making and good I'm not money. saying that sex work is a bad job, but like if, if <laughs> being in a video, for no, example, if if I had to put on a bikini and get oiled up, and I could make a lot of money quickly, and I'm 
poor, I also get that. So it's the intersection of like class and money and feminism and race. I agree. We do not have enough time to unpack this all. But I personally, I don't support it. I don't put my money into it. I don't give my energy or my time to it. I'll just tell you. What you do give your energy to are projects like the Suffragette hip hop musical. Exactly. I don't know how many people are aware of this, but yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah, for, thank you tell everyone. us about Suffragette and yes. how it came about and how Felicity, you got involved in it. No, Felicity, yeah, I got a call a year ago from a woman called Deborah Francis White. Never heard of her before. Had the best <laughs> conversation for an hour. Literally thought she was my best friend at the end of it. And the next week I met her and I didn't even know who the suffragettes were in my world. And she kind of broke it down. I really want to do a musical. She went to see Hamilton, so she was really inspired. (laughs) She said she wants to do a, it's 100 years that the suffragettes won the vote uh, for women, the rights for women to vote. But she said, but then on the flip side, it was for white middle class women that were rich. And what, what I love about Deborah so much is she, the whole cast is women of colour. So not only did we research it, and obviously we related to the suffragettes being women and some of the stuff that we go through, we got to put our twist on it, obviously make it hip-hop, but we also got to speak of it as what uh, the suffragettes would be today. So I think that was the most important part for me, is not only did we give them a high five, but we brought we evolved the suffragettes, you know, their mm. mind speaking. And it's just been amazing. I wrote all the hip-hop lyrics with Arisi. We There's 13 of us, six singers, me, Arisi, Coco, and Amanita, and the, the boys that played the... Um, sad, the instruments. But it's just <laughs> been, yeah, yeah, it's just been amazing to be a part of something that really means something to us, you know, and mm. to learn about... Uh, what women have gone through for years women we are warriors you know we fight i'm sorry men if there's any of you in here but you have to respect yeah you have to respect us yeah literally you tell him yeah uh, how can we see it how can we see it well we've recorded an ep all the tracks um yeah deborah we just oh we did a lasher of the year the second of december just gone at leicester square and hopefully next year, Deborah will bring in us on her tour in May. She's putting on a big music Amazing. night. So, and this EP you've got coming out. Yeah, um, my EP is called For Her, For Every Kind of Her. It's all for, so for guys too. Just talking about a lot of the things that I've discussed today. If you don't have a date for Valentine's Day, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> it comes out on Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this has been, it's been an extraordinary chat. I do want to plug what you guys have coming up. Uh, you've got the Soho Theatre well, up, uh, not, to, not to be a total dick about it, but that's sold out. So you can, I'm putting an sh- extra what show on. What a dick move. What a dick move. <laughs> yeah. okay. so, no, that's not a dick move. So if you sorry, was a guy, I'm, we wouldn't I'm say kidding, that. I'm kidding. I'm sorry Go I'm so girl. popular. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm doing an extra show at the Leicester Square Theatre on the 9th of March, and it is a fucking massive room. Yeah. So if anyone would like to buy tickets, <laughs> please do so. I've also got a special on Netflix, uh, which is about said IBS that has been mentioned and anxiety. I promise it's a comedy. Um, and then I play a, a Apollo. I might still be on that. Eleanor, you are responsible for some of my favourite TV moments of all time, I would say. The news report that Irish people took on face value That's is... Right, yeah. <laughs> 
is truly one of the... I wish we could play it now, because I might just chop it into the episode. Before an answer could be given, the accused kicked the plaintiff in the chin, knocking him backwards into a shopping trolley. Mr Montague then pushed the trolley in the direction of Amien Street. Upon reaching Connolly Station, he removed the cowboy hat the plaintiff was wearing and urinated in it before placing it back on his head. The plaintiff said of the experience, it frightened the shite out of me altogether, Lord Jesus. For his part, Mr Montague told the court, them culties is always here, all over the place, like cattle they are, smell a shite off them. The case continues. Ursula McCarthy, Dublin District Court for RTE. Like, the only time I was happier watching a piece of satire was when you spoke to Dahi O'Shea about your intimidation in the butcher shop. Uh, do you want to maybe explain to the listeners really quick what exactly uh, that situation is that I'm referring to there? It's a, it's a TV show that uh, uh, people in Ireland will be familiar with, um, presented by a man called Dahi O'Shea. Um, he's, an, he's an absolute ride. Um, <laughs> Anyway, I was uh, appearing on the show to plug something, a, a, a show I was in, and uh, last minute, just before the, the cameras were about, we had done a run-through and practised everything we were going to say, because Dahi and Maura don't leave anything to chance. Uh, <laughs> but then the, the producer came up and said, listen, uh, we're, we're just going to ask you something about the horse meat scandal. Disappeared. I've nothing to, to say about the horse meat scandal. So while I'm answering the other nice questions Dahi is putting to me and explaining about the show, in my head I'm going, what the hell am I going to say about the horse meat scandal? Something intelligent about that. Uh, and then I just thought about something. My, went, my brain went meat butchers. Uh, and where I live in Dublin, there's a huge swathe of butchers uh, everywhere. It was just, it's meat central basically in the, in the Liberties in Dublin where I was living at the time. And one thing I had noticed was a large amount of sexual tension between the older female customers and the younger male butchers. Uh, you know, <laughs> Real, an awful lot of banter, you know, very sexualised banter going on, you know, but you know, because they're discussing meat products, you know, so there's no, there's great licence for, you know, give me, you know, uh, those sausages very, look very enticing. Uh, this kind of, you know, a lot of that stuff going on, and I was in the butcher, and, you know, I, 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 I was remarking upon it, and then I said, this is, uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll tell Dahi about the discomfort, and, uh, <laughs> didn't go down well now um, at all. In fact, so they, they just kind of stared at me on the show. It's on, it's on YouTube. There literally you is a, a three-second stare. Yeah, three-second. It's you like, know. hello, darkness, my old friend. Yeah. Because they didn't realise that I, I had anything to say on, on, on the sub. And they, did, they weren't used to people saying Taking things the that they weren't fully sincere in on the show. Um, as well, um, and then what? What people? What people won't know is that the, the show went. They cut to a commercial break, and all I could hear was Maura Duran under her breath going, well, "I don't know what that butcher's thing was about." Also, Helena has a clip on YouTube that is so funny. It's uh, Melbourne Upfront 2018. 
Yes, and, yes, yes. Mate, yeah. YouTube it. It is so funny. I've shared it so many and times. You're touring up and around and everywhere. Ireland, uh, yeah, I'm Ireland, doing Ar- uh, my last show, uh, Success Without a Sex Tape, in <laughs> in uh, various venues around yeah. Ireland, uh, February, March. Well, guys, I do want to take a moment just to say thanks to our guests, Roxanne, Eleanor, Felicity. It's been a total pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for doing. Best of luck with everything you've got coming up. So that's it, the end of season one of Men Behaving Better. Next season, we've got a lot more to give you, including plenty more one-on-one interviews, as well as our live catalogue of episodes. The next live one, of course, taking place on March the 11th at Soho Theatre. Go now, get your tickets. It always sells out. So jigzer.com is the place to go. That's my website. You can click through there. There's a link on the right-hand side to that episode. Uh, Those tickets are on sale now uh, via that website or the Soho Theatre website. Then there's the episode in Edinburgh at the Gilded Balloon on Rose Street in April. I'll have more details of that to follow. But in the meantime, if you enjoyed this discussion, why not tell people about it? If you enjoyed it and you don't have anyone to tell about it, why not hear some more? Go to patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad, sign up and get more content, more discussion. Uh, including videos from previous episodes and hundreds of other one-on-one interviews that I've done in my other series, Irishman Abroad. But for now, hopefully, I'll see you next season on March the 11th at Soho Theatre. Uh, it's It's been a pleasure, I have to say, to create this series, this first season, to have it done and to receive the resp- this support that you guys have given is the reason that it's it's kept going. It's a small podcast to start with, but I think we can spread this discussion even further and broaden it out into areas that uh, make the discussion less uh, zeroed in on the Me Too movement. And in season two, I hope to spread it into general men improving. If you want to get involved in that discussion and if you have suggestions for season two or guests you'd like to see on the show with that in mind, email me irishmanabroadpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks to Brian Connolly for producing as always, to Eleanor Tiernan, Felicity Ward and Roxanne for their tremendous contributions to this episode to everyone who showed up on the night at the other palace theater it was an amazing evening and anytime you come to an irishman abroad show you will have a great night so come along if you like the sound of it march the 11th at soho theater but thanks again that's it that's a wrap for season one on men behaving better